0: Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles. Go ahead and open to Isaiah chapter 9, is where we're going to be today for our final Christmas sermon series. Sermon, sermon in this series. Obviously, we would have done this last week, but... Uh, We decided to have snow instead and very cold temperatures. I hope everybody stayed warm enough. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this prophecy series that we've been going through with Christmas Uh, that has been leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we've looked at the battle that was happening between the serpent and, and Yahweh going back from time before the garden and brought to earth in the garden we examined the star that led the wise men who were from the east. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the sign of the virgin birth and, and, and the miracle of the birth and how we know because, because if Jesus was born as a, from a virgin, then this had to be from God. There's no other way. And it, how important that is, the virgin birth is to our faith in Jesus Christ. So today, on New Year's Day, we're going to look at the fourth and the final prophecy of a great king. So we're in the book of Isaiah, which <laughs> it's interesting. We've been in Isaiah for the last part of this year and will be for most of next year. But here we are ending Christmas in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It says, For to us a child is born... I think more and more, even today, I I think we are longing for this time when we will see the Prince of Peace appear and everything will be the way it should be, which is sometimes, I think, the complete opposite of what it is today. There have been many songs written from these verses that include this prophecy. most famous one being Handel's Messiah is based upon Isaiah 9-6. So this, the phrases "For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given." They're, they're kind of etched into our culture, this culture of Christmas and all of Christendom. The four names that are given this child—you we, we, know—when you think about them, they kind of—they're they, not just words that we say. They kind of instill in us some emotion. You know, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father—they—they they, all—they kind of kind of give us a feeling, a, a, a hope. we got to wonder, sometimes, I wonder how the first hearers who heard Isaiah say these words, or at least read them, what they thought, how did they understand it? I mean, they did not have Christmas as a framework for, our, for Isaiah 9-6. So how did they understand it? How, and then how does the rest of this prophecy, how does that all relate to us in Christmas today? So like we've done in the previous three weeks of, of the series, I want to go back, I want to I you know this 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 prophecy doesn't stand alone it it, it encompasses the other three prophecies so i want to kind of i want to kind of look at them all back we're going to kind of review them real quick here but i want to first i want to i want to pray before we get into this too much further father we we praise you for your word and for your prophecy not just the fact that it's here but what it means and what it does for us and and what it will do for us in the future when it becomes fulfilled. Lord, we we praise you that you've honored us enough to leave your word for us that never gets old, no matter how old it is. May we, first of all, handle it correctly. Second of all, may we write it on our hearts. pray this in your name. Amen. So let's review the prophecies. The first prophecy we talked about was the seed of the woman... We first looked at the prophecy of the great battle that was going on between uh, Satan and, and Yahweh, or Lucifer is what his real name is. Satan's his job, uh, Hasatan, his, he's the accuser. We looked at how that's, that happened, how it came to earth, and how now the fall of man happens, and how it continues, and how it all weaves together. In Genesis 3.15, we see that God, when he was cursing man and cursing the uh, creation and cursing the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, very important that that's a he, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We talked that this was a certain individual who God had prophesied would come and would take care of the problem of the serpent, of Satan, of, of Lucifer. And, she, and this, this person would be of the seed of the woman. It would come through Eve. And he would defeat the great enemy of God's people. We we see in that also the early hint of the virgin birth. The first prophecy in the Bible is a messianic prophecy. It's about the Messiah coming. It points forward to a time when Messiah is going to come and he's going to make things right and defeat our enemy. We look at the star and the scepter. And the next prophecy that comes out of Judah we learn that the Messiah is going to be a king. It's going to be of the line of Judah and will come to crush the head of God's enemies. In Numbers 24, 17, Balaam, who, who, was, a, who was not exactly a good person uh, in the end, but he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Shath and This in turn again takes us back to the first prophecy. So we see the connection between the two. Then we see the virgin birth. We saw this two weeks ago. That a virgin shall conceive. Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign." Hezekiah's father was told to ask for a sign. He didn't give it. He didn't. He, I'm not going to do it. It's false humility. God says, "Fine, I'll give you one myself." It says, "Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son." and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. A male child will be a sign that God is now here. He is with us again. It harkens back to the time when, when, when God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. He, the God, God's desire is to be with us. And we see that this prophecy is slowly fulfilling that. But we need now come to our fourth prophecy, prophecy we just read from Isaiah 9-6. And so we want to look at the, again, we're going to look at the content. The, and and the, we look at the background, we look at the content. We're going, to, we're going to look at it just like we did before. So first of all, we get this idea of a great king. It's interesting that this prophecy is found in two chapters after the prophecy of the virgin birth. In Isaiah. Both of those prophecies are in Isaiah. They're connected. They're similar. Both speak of the child and should be interpreted together. One does not stand alone. The child is going to be born as a king. And there are four parts to this prophecy. First, we see the child. He will be a king. And this idea of this prophecy, this prophecy kind of follows a very similar pattern of the word child followed by the word son as the other prophecy. So we, we can kind of understand that the prophecy about a virgin conceiving and the prophecy in Isaiah 9:6 that we just read at the beginning today, they're talking about the same child. And, the, and Isaiah goes on to say that the government will be on his shoulders. This is another way of saying the child is going to be born a king. Hence why, again, the wise men came to Jerusalem looking for the king. They thought the child should have been born in the palace. So they run into Herod, and we know how that all that goes along, how that happens. That's not where it was going to happen. They didn't find him in the palace. See, God... Here's the thing, God does not always do things according to the way we think they should be done. He doesn't do things always according to the way that we think would be normal. I've I've learned that in my life. I always try to look for God in in the normal. I I normally can't find him in the normal because he doesn't always do things that way. He does things in different ways. He has his own plan. We can't pigeonhole God into into a, a certain pattern of how he does things. He does his, his ways are not our ways. In fact, Isaiah himself will say that God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts in Isaiah 55. Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know about you, but that always brings me some comfort. Because I've seen my ways. My ways aren't always the best ways. My thoughts are not always the best thoughts. I'm glad God's are higher than mine. And then Isaiah will go on and he'll give him these divine names. It describes the child under some divine names. Look at, look at what it says there in, in, in verse 6. In part of the last part it says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we we know that you know, those were not his actual given names, but they're descriptions of who he is. We're gonna, in our Sunday school class, we're gonna begin a, a small short series on angels. And there's a lot of a lot of the things we read in scripture about angels are descriptions of who they what they are, who what they do, what they are, what is the hierarchy. And, and, and that's what God does. He gives he gives names to things, and they, they they're not necessarily their given name. They describe them. It gives even it gives a broader, a more beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So I want to take each of these and kind of talk about them just a little bit. So He's a wonderful counselor. Now, some translations separate those two terms, and, and that's fine. He's wonderful, yeah, and he's a counselor, yeah, it's good. Or he's a wonderful counselor, either way. If he's wonderful, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. So there's, there's no problem with doing that. But I, I want to kind of look at them together, and look, because all the other names are compound words, so let's kind of keep, that, keep the, the, the same flow going here. See, wonderful means miraculous. If it's wonderful, it's miraculous. It's astonishing. It's beyond our understanding. Put wonderful a counselor, and we see that this child that is born is going to be filled with divine wisdom. When we go to a counselor, when you go to, to get counsel from somebody, the, the hope is that they're pretty wise and they know more than you do about a subject or something, or they've experienced something in their lives, or at least read about it and been taught about it, so that they can give you some good advice. If you go, you know, let's say you, you you've got you've got a plumber into your house and and they're working on your sink, and you know you don't ask them about doing your taxes. You know, not normally. You know, hey, when you're done with, when you're done, you know, fixing that pipe, how about if you fill out my 1040? No, you don't do that. You go to somebody, if you've got to have somebody fill your taxes out, you go to somebody who knows about that, who's an expert at that. And this idea of wonderful counselors is, is there anything that Jesus doesn't know? Well, no. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything and the beauty of it is if we go to hebrews we know that not only does he know everything but he's experienced things he's we don't have a high priest who hasn't experienced what we have experienced we have a high priest who's suffered like we have we have a high priest who's who's dealt with temptation like we have to and how we should and we have a high priest who suffered and died for us jesus is definitely a wonderful counselor this child is going to be born with divine wisdom now, I'll be honest with you, I don't believe that when Jesus was born, that he immediately started talking to Mary and had a huge... book. I, he could have, but I believe he experienced life as a child growing up, going through puberty, you know, learning how to walk. All those things that we experienced, he experienced. But see, this child knows things that only God could know he is a wonderful counselor and that leads us into the next word which was the next two words which is mighty God we see this emphasis on power this might this word mighty conveys this idea of a warrior a hero the Lord is a warrior God is a warrior. there's a lot of warrior language in Scripture another thing I'm thinking of my Sunday school lesson that I wrote. We're going to talk about that today, about how the angels, there's a lot of warrior language about the angels. And when we a lot of times when we picture an angel, what do we picture? You know, this big buff angel with a sword and the big wings, you know. Nothing in Scripture says that's what they look like. But we think about that. We think of this warrior language. We think of mighty God, this mighty, uh, this child. He not only does he have divine wisdom, but he possesses divine power. What's interesting is that, you know, let me ask you this. What is more powerful, someone who has power and, can, and uses it or someone who has power and restrains themselves from using it when it wasn't on time yet? Think of the story of the of the wedding in Canaan. The wedding in Canaan, he, his mother comes to him and says, oh, you've got to do something. They're out of wine. You know, they've been partying for four days and it's gone. It, it's going to be an embarrassment. He's like, woman. That, that always takes me back. I mean, takes me a back. Well, it doesn't take me back. I've never called my mother woman. But could you imagine? Saying, listen, woman, you know, you know, that's not something you say to your mother. But he did. He says, woman, it's not my time yet. And yet, she says, just do what he says. He still obeys her. He honors her. So he performs his first miracle. It, was, it wasn't his time yet, but he knew God, God allowed him to do that. God the Father allowed him to do that because he needed to honor his mother. There was no sin in that, but he was able to restrain his power until that time. He knows things that only Yahweh can know, and he does things that only Yahweh can do. He, says, he, tells us, he tells them, I only do what I see the, my father doing. You know, I, I try to show my kids how to do things. I say, here, this is how I do it. This is what this is. My, my goal is hopefully they'll be able to do it so I don't have to do it anymore. It's a selfish goal. Here's how you mow the lawn. Now I don't have to mow that part of the lawn anymore. You know. But Jesus knows everything that his father knows. And he can do everything that his father can do. That's why when he sits there, he sits there and he's feeding the five thousand. He's able to break the fish and bread apart, and it just multiplies. He's creating. He creates. He creates something out of nothing. What do you think God did? He spoke, and things came into being. He can do what his father does. He's a warrior. He's a champion. He goes out. He overthrows God's enemies. He fights for us. He's going to crush the head and destroy the kingdom of the serpent. That kingdom that we see out here today, I'm telling you, I see it more and more. The kingdom, there's there's no more, it doesn't hide anymore. I've had some people ask me, what do you think is going on? I'll be honest with you. Over the last two years, I'll tell you what's going on. I think evil is rearing its head. It's trying to force God's hand. It's trying to force God to do something about what's going on. And the fun, I laugh because I kind of laugh at it because, you know what, they're playing right into God's hand. He's allowing it to happen for a reason. It's going to come out in the end to his glory because he's a mighty God. He knows everything, and he can do everything. Then it says he's going to be the everlasting father. That that would seem kind of strange that you're calling the son the everlasting father. But we see this emphasis in this word on the child being the source of all life. It's God the father who created. We know it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? We know that. We think of the God the father speaking and things happening. But we also know from scripture that says all things were created by him, through him, and for him when it talks about Christ. He is the everlasting Father. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He's the everlasting Father. He is everlasting. He's forever. There is no beginning. He is not a created being. That's why I don't like the word begotten in some of the translations. His only begotten Son. It's the, it, he wasn't created. He is the Son of God. He's the special Son of God who's always been. He's not the Father. He's not the Holy Spirit. But they're all God. I mean... I know, you can get eyes crossed trying to figure this all out, but that's just the way it is. Again, my ways are not your ways. (laughs) Jesus didn't come into, into creation to existence at the conception or at his birth, as we all do, but he has been from eternity past and will be for eternity future. Look what Jesus says. He, he confirms this when he's talking to He's talking to the Sanhedrin. And of course, being Jewish, they they hold Abraham at such high regard. And he says to them in John 8 58, he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, when you think about that, it wouldn't it have been more uh, grammatically it's incorrect because shouldn't he say, before Abraham was, I was, right? That's grammatically correct. But what he's doing here, he's using God's name here. He's saying, before before Abraham was, I was God. I am. He's using the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush. And they know it. That's why they tear their clothes, because he's now blasphemed, according to them. Not knowing that he hasn't blasphemed, he's told the truth. This child... This child in the manger is going to be the source of all life as father, which means he's creator. He's not God the Father. He's God the Son. But we call him everlasting father because he is the source of all life. Look at John 1, 1 through 3. When John writes this, he wants us to give he wants to give us a sense of who Jesus was it says in the beginning was the Word Jesus was the Word he was the Word of God and the Word was with God and the Word was God he was the, in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made Everything was made through Christ everything he has no beginning because he is the cause of all beginnings he is the creator and the sustainer of the whole world. If we go to Colossians 1, Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Hmm. All things invisible were created by him. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Again, I've talked about this before. Whenever Paul uses these terms, dominions and rulers and authorities, he's not talking about, you know, President Biden. He's not talking about, you know, uh, King Charles. I almost said Prince Charles. King Charles. He's not talking about those kinds of rulers. He's not talking about the governor. He's, not, he's talking about those in the spiritual realm. He's talking about the sons of God who are who God gave dominion over the nations at Babel. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the rulers and authorities. Remember, our, our struggle is not against flesh and bone, but against the authorities. Okay? Spiritual forces, darkness in this evil world. I mean, those was what he's talking about. So they were all created. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You and I are you you and I hold together. If it if, if Jesus didn't hold us together, our atoms would split apart. I've been doing a lot of research on dark energy and meaning, you know, the energy we can't see in the universe. Not not evil things. I'm talking, I'm talking dark matter is what it's actually called. They do a lot of reading on dark matter. What holds the universe together? What draws us together in our atoms? Well, they're never going to find it because it's Jesus. He holds us together, Prince of Peace. See this this word, these words kind of it talks about the sovereign rule of God. This world. This world is searching for peace. I know. Right now, it seems like all we want is war. That's why I think the evil is running rampant. I don't think, I, you know, I don't think that the Holy Spirit's been taken out of the way. But I think the Holy Spirit's been told, okay, let them, let their. It, it's like it's like <laughs> it says in Scripture that you're to hand people over to Satan so Satan can have his way with them. That's what's happening. Satan's having his way with a lot of people in this world right now. But we want peace. For the most part, we want to live peaceful lives. And he's a prince, so it means he's a ruler. And since he's the prince of peace, it means that he's going to bring universal peace to the whole world. Now, we we know from Scripture that when the Antichrist comes, he's going to to say he's going to give the same thing, but it's a false peace. And And people will follow the Antichrist because that's what we really want. So he put all these names together and we see this child is going to have divine wisdom. He's going to have divine power. He's going to have everlasting life. He's going to have sovereignty over all the nations. This child is truly divine. Or if we go back to the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7.14, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And he's going to rule on David's throne. I'll remind you what it says in Isaiah 9. Of the increase of his government, the peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, we have a, another emphasis here on the child as the Messiah. God has promised David that there will come one who is of his lineage who will rule forever. That's why he's called the son of David. He is of the line of David, and he's going to rule forever. And 2 Samuel, this is the promise that was made to, to David. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers," basically, David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you. And, you're, and people are thinking, well, the, yeah, Solomon, you know, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And he is. He's talking about Solomon here. But see, there's a double meaning and I will establish His throne of His kingdom forever. Well, where's Where's God's house? Where does God live? You think heaven, but where is He now? He's right here. You and I are the house of God. We are the holy ground. He's establishing in us forever this presence within us and with us. And what we see in this in this prophecy, we see this narrowing. Of the coming Messiah. First, we see that he was coming from the seed of the woman, so we know it starts with Eve. And, but it's, who was it? Who was? Who was? Who was he? Where was he going to come from? Who was? Could you imagine throughout the history of the Jewish people, all the women who were, who were and if they knew this prophet, they're thinking, "Am I the woman? Is it? You know, I know I'm from the line of Eve. Is is, is it? Is it my child that's going to be the one?" Then then it gets narrowed down, and we know it's going to come from Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, when God promises that the the world's going to be blessed because of him, because of Abraham. Then we see it further down, narrowed even further down, when we know from Balaam's prophecy that he's going to come from the tribe of Judah. And then we see here in 2 Samuel that the Messiah will come from the line of David. And that his throne is going to be established forever. So we, we bring this all together and we see that this child born a king and called by divine names who will reign on David's throne, he'll be the Messiah, he'll have divine wisdom and power, sovereignty, and he's going to bring peace to the world. Now we come to the fulfillment. That was the context, what's what the prophecy f- contains. This is the fulfillment. the birth of jesus so now we we've narrowed down even further to the birth of a child in the manger in bethlehem so how does jesus fulfill this prophecy we go to matthew 2 says now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of herod the king behold wise men from the east came to jerusalem saying where is he who was born king of the jews they knew for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him Did you notice that? They said, we come to worship the king of the Jews. He doesn't say, they don't say, where is he who will one day become king of the Jews? Is anybody ever born a king? I mean, when when Prince Charles was born, was, oh, well, that's King Charles. No, he was a prince, right? He wasn't a king from the start because his mother was still alive and she was the queen. See, they don't say the king who will be a king of the Jews. We've come to see the king of the Jews who was born king of the Jews. Jesus was king from birth. Now, this is is not normally how it works, but this is what has happened. And we, we, if we continue on further, we can see that you know he may not been called, you may not heard the words of the divine names, but you can see where the context, the idea of it. Matthew one twenty three says, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's with us." We know that he was God and he was with us. He's he's called Jesus or Yeshua, which means God saves or God is salvation. He's called Christ, which means Messiah. By the way, nobody during his time, called him Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nobody called him Jesus Christ. They called him either Rabbi or Yeshua. But even more important is what Paul tells the church at Philippi in Philippians. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is called Lord, Kyrios in Greek, and Yahweh in Hebrew. Lord is God's personal covenant name. Whenever you see Lord in Scripture in the Old Testament, that's Yahweh. If you see it in, in, in the New Testament, it's Kyrios. God does not share that name with anyone except for Christ. But Jesus himself, he's called Lord. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Christ, and Lord. This is why if you want to know, how do you know if you're saved? Well, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. If you confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. So we know that Jesus is going to reign on the throne of David. We see this message that the angel gave Mary. And Mary, when he comes, when the gave, we think it was Gabriel who came. And this is what he says there. He says, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And if we go to Revelation, we've seen the final fulfillment of this prophecy. In Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Emmanuel, God with us. God now is dwelling with us again. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus, born king, called by divine names, will reign forever on David's throne. So see, all four of these prophecies that we've been looking at, all four of them come down to being the good news of Christmas. And that good news is that the king has come, just as he was promised so many years ago. In the Old Testament, this baby that was born in a manger is more than just a nice, sentimental, you know, little image of a little baby. You know, there's more to it than that. It's much deeper than that. It's more. It's deeper than the pictures we have on Christmas cards. And believe me, I've seen some beautiful Christmas cards with with the manger scene on it. But it's much more than that. That, that picture cannot do justice to what the true the whole prophecy is all about. He's the ruler from the line of Judah. He's the seed of the woman who's going to defeat Satan and all the enemies of God. His birth was marked by a miraculous astronomical sign. Whether it was one star or was a constellation that came together with certain stars and certain planets in it, there's plenty of different ideas out there. It doesn't matter. What matters is that this was something that happened that was foretold many years ago before this, hundreds of years before it happened, and, and there were people who were not Jewish, were not didn't believe, but, but they were from a completely different place, and they read it, and they saw it, and they came, and they looked for him, knowing that he was king. He wasn't going to be, but he was king. He was born of a virgin, a supernatural birth. He is the great king who is from the line of David, and he will reign forever and ever. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and he is our Prince of Peace. And this is why we bow down to the baby in the manger. The king has come. Oh, come, let us adore him.